just have to make a confession. I have an ice cream problem. <laughs> Don't we all, though, honestly? I mean, really? I love ice cream. It is so good. Viva la ice cream. Yep. Hello there, FC Dallas fan. Welcome to another happy edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Why happy? Because FC Dallas has won yet again. Hi, I'm Peter, and joining me today, it's just a twosome. Dan Crook has uh, run off on us again. Uh, It's just me and our founder of ThirdDegree.net, and also from the Dallas Morning News, the extraordinary Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Thank you for the kind words, Peter. Today I'm calling in from Chicago where I'm helping burn down the fire rebrand. <laughs> You've been waiting to do that for several days now, haven't you? Actually, I just came up with it just in the last 10 minutes or so, but I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> Man, you know, I have a whole bunch of thoughts about the idea of Chicago moving to uh, Soldier Field. And. The one overriding reaction I have to that is that if, in fact, that actually happens, probably even before anybody takes even a moment to wait to see if it turns out to be a positive for the franchise in terms of attendance and can they actually fill up an NFL soccer, you know, football stadium even remotely uh, close to halfway or anything like that, is the number, the, the dramatic and sudden and violent increase of emails in Mark Cuban's inbox is just going to go through the effing roof, begging him to buy this club from the Hunts and yeah. m- move them to the back to the Cotton Bowl or something like that. Yeah, basically they're doing what a, a section of the FC Dallas fan base wants, which is to bail on Frisco and go back to the Cotton Bowl. But my thoughts on the whole thing is, uh, number one, I think the fire brand is great. You don't need to touch it. Number two, uh, going back to a big, huge stadium in the middle of downtown is not a cure-all if you don't have a good quality front office to take advantage of it. And number three, that club has been a dumpster fire since Peter Wilt left. He did amazing things with that club, getting it going and getting it started in the early years. And then they got rid of him, and it's been junk since. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It is a lot about the front office and there's all sorts of MLS teams that are uh, succeeding or not, uh, which have far more to do with how they promote themselves and market themselves and brand themselves. I mean, you know, the interview over at Soccer America this week with the guy that runs Red Bull was in oddly uh, defeating in some ways just because uh, you know, they he seemed content with the fact that 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 beautiful arena. Have you been to Red Bull Arena? I have not. It's on my list, though. Oh my gosh, it's like a perfect soccer stadium for any country in the world. Yet they can't get that place filled up, and it's not like it's short on people. Now, granted, it's a long way away from Manhattan. Uh, that train ride in from Manhattan is a is a haul. I've done it, um, but. There's still a ton of people and families that live in the immediate area around Harrison, uh, and it's it's a kind of a joke that they can't sell that thing out on their regular, especially as good as that team is. And in some ways, it's oddly a lot like Dallas and Frisco and 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 yeah. and this local club. Um, but I'm convinced if you announced tomorrow that the Hunts had said screw it, or let's say Toyota Stadium burned down or something, and they needed a place to play, if they put that team back in the Cotton Bowl, it wouldn't 
it wouldn't traffic no. any better than it did back in 1998 or 99. No, I agree with you completely. It, you know, it, as with anything else, if you don't have the people and don't spend the money, you know, number one, and number two, have quality people, you know, you can sell almost anything if you're a good enough salesman. So yeah. the failure of almost any MLS team to make a, 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 a headway is not because of the product, because almost every team in MLS now has been dragged up enough to where it's a pretty decent product. Yeah. Especially if you're in a place like LA or New York, where there literally are 20 million people within uh, a train ride. I mean, uh, the, the orders of magnitude of the number of people that are in New York area, you know, they sell out the Meadowlands like crazy for football. You know, you ought to be able to sell out a much lower level you know, in that area, there are so many people. But it's easy for me to say it's not my money, not yeah. my job. So. Well, uh, I don't want to devolve into a, an attendance and marketing uh, podcast yeah. because, um, one, I'll probably start yelling and things like that, and nobody wants to hear me whine about that no. any more than they already do. Well, well, the one tag I will make on that is that we say all the time is don't make an excuse. Don't let the distance be an excuse. It's not, you know, it's not where it is or whatever that you're not. It's not the, that's not the reason you're not selling. No, absolutely not. Uh, I, I, you and I are totally lockstep in that. All right. Well, I don't want to. I, I want to brighten everything back up because we are uh, celebrating yet another victory. FC Dallas goes on the road at a place that historically, over the last several years, has uh, not been kind to the traveling team. And not only did they win, they won four to two, and they did it with a whole bunch of the Utes. Uh, and they looked good while doing it. Uh, there are so many positives and so many really great things to talk about from this game. Uh, what's your particular favorite, Mr. Buzz? Well, as you say, this is my favorite, actually, is that it's from the RSL notes, is that since 2009, they have the best home record in MLS. That is, uh, over the last however many years you want to look at it from an FC Dallas perspective, a very difficult place to play and a place that Dallas has not gotten any results. So I grant you... Most people would say right now RSL's not off to a great start. That's fine. It's still a very difficult place to play. And so for me, that's the most exciting thing. When you particularly you have a young team, as young as a Dallas is, with as many homegrowns, not as many starting, but in the mix and getting minutes, you know, uh, with that the way it is, to go in there and perform the way they did on the road, that's tremendous. That's the exciting thing. Well, uh, you're wrong. The most exciting thing about the game was the blue shorts. <laughs> no, you're right. Yes, sorry, my bad. No, that's true. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of the blue shorts. I'm glad Dan Hunt pushed through on that, like he said he was going to do. You know, I'd like to give him the credit for that. If for sure it was him or not, I don't know. But uh, uh, to break up the solid white with the uh, which we have seen once with the blue shorts, super crisp, super good. Yeah, that was fantastic. Of course, the other fantastic game was uh, yet another notch up for Paxton Pomacall, who is just the most pure-driven snow of the sport of soccer these days. I'm, I, The kid just does something every game that he didn't do the game before and just makes it better and better. This time, scoring not just once but twice, the second goal in particular was just so good and so great. And I, I just don't want anything to change. He's perfect the way he is right now. I don't want him to get any older. I just want it. To, I want this to last as long as it possibly can. I'm just frightened that if the kid goes off to the World Cup and absolutely blisters it like many people think he's going to, our time with young Pomacall is is not long in Frisco. 
Yeah, he has no fear. Uh, that's my favorite thing about him. You know, I, congrats to him on getting his not only his first but his second career goal. And he made the pass interception uh, when he and Arangi's double teamed in midfield. Paxton made the initial interception that led to the first goal. So it were like 30 seconds into the game or whatever it was. So I, I agree with you that he's playing uh, phenomenal ball. It is just four games, so let's not go crazy, crazy. But um, what I love is his lack of any sort of it's almost Nuke Lelouch like, right? The, the lack of awareness that what he's doing, right? He's in there. He's like, I'm going at people, you know. He's getting forward. And he's doing crazy things. I mean, the audacity of the uh, of the second goal where he just sort of snuck in around the center back and was like, I'm gonna kind of sneak in here just in case this guy flubs this. And sure enough, flubbed it, put it away. It's classic. He's just playing fantastically. Uh, Bobby Warshaw, former FC Dallas uh, member and now commonly seen playing his verbal and mental trade uh, towards the game of the uh, towards the sport at MLS soccer. Uh, he tweeted, "What was his comparison today? He's the best, uh, best most American complete. player since most complete player since yeah. Bradley and who else?" Oh gosh, I don't remember who the second one was, but the point was, and I think the point he was trying to make was, is that Paxton plays an all-around game where he can play defense he can link he can attack he can distribute he can shoot you know i think that's the analogy he was making is the complete player that can do almost anything in the midfield that you want him to do uh which i think he's right that that is paxton's game warshaw did later in the same article say now it is early careers go up and down but you know he did he did was describing him and comparing him his all-around complete game was really exciting i don't remember who the other player was but um, michael bradley was the first one and then maybe some of the highest praise you could possibly imagine. Also former Dallas player, but Argentinian, uh, very high level, uh, really great all-around guy. Pablo Rochetti said that he years ago labeled Paxton as the American Iniesta. Holy cow. I can't imagine much higher praise than that. Yeah, but he, Bruschetti's actually mentioned that before, that he's said that about Paxton since Paxton was about 15 or 16 years old. Um, you know, and what he means is uh, style-wise. He did say, obviously, don't be silly. I'm not saying he's Iniesta. I'm just saying that, like, the way he plays is literally the exact same role Iniesta played for both Barcelona and for Spain, where he lingers as that linking player in the midfield that – that free eight, that above uh, the baskets in the Spain example, and then burst through the gaps, makes those little runs, make those little layoffs. So Rochetti, I, I believe, is completely correct that style-wise, uh, Iniesta is exactly the kind of player that Paxton is. You know, is he going to be worth uh, what Iniesta was worth and play the level Iniesta did? Well, that's, I mean, who knows? But it's a good style comparison. I, I, I approve of that message. All right, so we'll uh, we'll hop off the Pax hype train for a little bit, and I want to take a second to um, throw a little hype the way of one guy who I'm not sure is getting enough credit for the two games that he has started, which is Jesus Ferreira, um, who I, I really thought, um, um, you know, son of David Ferreira, um, uh, as we all know, and, and I think that's a really cool fact that we've got a father-son duo that have played for the same club. Yeah. But he's done a couple of things in particular playing in that position we haven't seen in a while. Uh, in particular, I thought his movement and his decision-making for the opening goal 45 seconds in uh, was really sharp. I don't know if there's another person on this club in the last 
five years that would have made the decision to pass that ball instead of trying to shoot it in the opening minute, right? You get a ball in the box at the top of the box, it's the first minute, why not shoot it? But instead, he makes the decision, the intelligent, mature mature decision, not just to pass it to Grezo, but he makes a really, really good pass, and then who knew Grezo could finish a ball like that? Yeah, that... um... That play is, in particular is, is indicative of uh, Jesus Ferreira's ability to learn because um, part of that play included something Lucci's been working on with strikers in particular is that when the striker for Lucci checks back like Ferreira did in that play, then one of the wings is supposed to come in behind him and fill that hole, which Barrios does on that play. So when Ferreira turns, he knows Barrios is making that run and leads him with that ball that Barros then plays to Grezzo. So um, Lucci, after the game, I talked about uh, the subtleness of Ferreira's game, the, the instincts, the, the quality of it. And then Lucci in the postgame talked about the intelligence of his runs, the timing of his runs, and, and how smart he plays. And we've talked about what a high line he's running most of the time. Pardon me, most of the time that's really nice. And then the, the last goal of the game – uh, Ferreira made what I call a rewarding run where he rewarded his winger's effort because so many times Barrios makes those end runs and looks up and there's nobody there. And Ferreira made that effort to make that near post run, which required both uh, willpower and pace to get there and rewarded Barrios's effort by putting himself in position to knock home that cross. So he had a really complete, fantastic game and, and is, again, another young player now who looks to have probably taken a starting spot away from a veteran player. What did you think of uh, Pablo Arangi's uh, performance, 65 minutes uh, and, a, and another start? I mean, it was pretty good. I think that in a lot of ways it's the same thing we've said about him all along is that it wasn't um, as impactful as we would like Uh you know, if you look at his passing chart, none of it well, – but just one pass. One pass connects in the final third. The rest of it is all, you know, checking sideways or, or holding possession in the midfield. Now, on the road at Salt Lake, you know, that's not terrible. You know, you don't mind, uh, you know, holding possession and, and maintaining and linking. That's okay. I just – Arangis is still young. And matter of fact, uh, Amaro Diaz interview went up today where he talks about Pablo – and how he tells is saying to Pablo to be patient that when he Diaz got here, he remembered the first six months he was lost in this league and he couldn't find the game. He couldn't, he didn't know the opponents. He didn't know the, the league. He couldn't find himself and he couldn't find the game and that Pablo needs to just be patient and, and learn the league and learn the game and that the game will come to him and he'll be good, you know, and he'll be fine in this league. And I, and I think that's true. I think, I think Pablo is young enough He's still trying to find himself. This is a tough league to adapt to. It's very different than Chile. So, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm full of patience for that kid. I, he's got a lot of talent. It's just not not impacting the game yet. You know, uh, I, D- Dallas, for a team that uh, was playing with a man advantage uh, uh, for a large part of the team, a uh, large part of the game, did uh, seem to struggle a little bit in bits and fits and starts, uh, and and allowing to real, allowing Salt Lake to kind of continuously figure out a way to come back into the game and make things a little nervous. All then, as soon as as Salt Lake scored, Dallas would turn around and and, and regain their two goal advantage. 
But there were several moments in the game and kind of uh, uh, blocks of time in the game where Salt Lake was able to, uh, you know, play a better game despite the fact they were a man down. Did you did you see anything in particular about what Dallas was doing right or wrong that allowed that to happen? Well, I, I tweeted in the middle of the game that, um, okay, you're up a man, you're up a couple of goals. I said, this is the kind of game that a young team needs to learn how to put away on the road. And within like a minute of that tweet, Salt Lake scored. You know, and thankfully, as you say, young, exciting, resilient team, they bounce right back and got a goal back. So uh, Paxton's one where he scored like a minute. That, that, that the commentators hadn't finished talking about the previous goal and he was already scoring again. So um, I'm, I'm not super worried about that. A lot of times a team that goes down a man will actually elevate because everybody on their team thinks, oh, man, I got to play 10 percent more with a guy out. And everybody on the team that's up a man goes, oh. I can take off 10% because we're up a man, yeah. you know? So that's actually a kind of a common sort of ebb and flow to a game with a guy out, especially when it's out for a long time. Like this one was out for a long, long time. And, but in the end, you're right. They did have chances to get back in, but that's just part of learning young team. And we've talked about this young coach too, right? So, uh, it's all part of the learning process and actually holding on and winning that game is actually good. That's a good, uh, thing that Dallas can now internalize and learn from and take with them moving ahead in the future. Fantastic uh, performance again from uh, Ryan Hollingshead. Uh, I thought he once again uh, really had kind of shaped back into form. Uh, Grazo was great. Uh, there was lots of, uh, again, so much to like, in particular the, the fourth goal, uh, which instantly became probably one of my top 10 favorite goals of in the club's history, mostly because of Hedges' pass out of the back. It was so yeah. spot on, a yeah. difficult, high-level, world-class pass out of the back. And then uh, it, what the only part of it that made it any better was Barrios' touch uh, to kind of put it exactly where he needed it so that he could get into the box and then make the cross that, uh, uh, that Jesus uh, then obviously finishes. But Hedges' pass, out of the back oh my gosh it was uh delicious kind of yeah, like I- kind of like ice cream yeah hedges has done some really nice work this year on improving his passing game i, I would have said coming in to the season that hedges was not as good a passer as perhaps ziegler but he's really worked hard to become both better short passing and long passing and he's looked really good in this game he had three or four long passes that were really nice uh and, and fro- broke guys free and barrios on that play also gets the cross off earlier, which is something we've been talking about with him, is don't take so many touches. Just one touch and get it in. And then I already talked about that run for AMX. It's just like, that's just such a rewarding classic uh, run. And that play is three teammates on the same page, as you say, pass, pass, goal. It's such a beautiful goal. Uh, and boy, uh, Jesse certainly has uh, gotten the label because this is two games in a row where the ref is not having yeah. it and instantly giving yellow cards for any, any even the slightest sense that time wasting is taking place. That one was ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're all. It is so bad now, and it is so clear that the instant Jesse does anything, that the refs are like yellow card. I mean, it's he's just going to have to stop completely for. I mean, maybe even a couple of seasons until they stop doing that because it is it, the last two have been ridiculous. Well, uh, to be fair, it's a byproduct of his own making. Oh, he did uh, do it to himself. That's for sure. It's his own fault. But all what's right. happening this year is not fair. All right. So I want to I want to low uh, blow a little stat uh, shocker uh, that I came up with uh, earlier today. I can't believe this is true. So 
who do you think I think we already talked about this so you're going to know the answer the person leading the team in shots is Brian Acosta with 8 who do you think is second on the team in shots well I did not look but my guess is Paxton Pomichol no I'm going to give you another chance okay should I should I think outside the box? I'm gonna go Ryan Hollingshead then. It is. It's Ryan Hollingshead uh, yeah. with seven. That That's caught not, me off that, guard, actually. I don't. Uh, it's a little surprising, but it doesn't catch me off guard. He's actually one of the people I thought of when you obviously when you raised this idea. Um, and he's spent a lot of time getting forward. I mean, he gets forward for extended stretches. Like I even noticed in the RSL game, there was a, a after Paxson had switched, switched to the wing. In the second half, there was actually about a five-minute sequence when Hollingshead and Paxton effectively switched positions, and Hollingshead spent a good chunk of time up as a left wing right under uh, Jesus and skating across the top of the box with Paxton playing as like a setting up, covering for Ryan, obviously, in an overlap situation, but Paxton spent a good time almost playing as a left back. I mean, it was a... Ryan's game is... The way he's playing right now is all about his offense and the contribution he's making forward, getting forward. And he's been taking a fair amount of shots from right outside the penalty box when he sneaks into that hole, which is something that Lucci worked with them on in the spring. It's not just the end run, but the end and the run and cut in too and make that diagonal play. All right. So uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything from a really good. Uh, something that we'll remember for a bit when 4-2 win in Salt Lake, uh, especially if uh, Petke's able to put that team together and get them to do something, yeah. although there are moments in time where I wonder just if he's actually any good as a coach, but uh, he probably deserves a little bit more time there. One, um, more player, one player I want to stand out is Ja'Cory Hayes, who wasn't even going to travel. You remember they registered him to play North, with North Texas, and he was going to play 90 minutes. And then uh, I, somebody came up with a knock. Oh, Santiago Mascara, right, came up with a knock at the last minute. And so they took Hayes, and he probably wasn't going to play. And then all of a sudden he had to come in and help kill the game off. So I thought he played pretty well in a situation where he wasn't a day before going to be doing that. So credit to him. Yep, so Dallas now uh, has another road game, first uh, back-to-back road games of the season. They go to Philadelphia. The battle of fourth-place game teams, Yeah. Fourth in the East, fourth in the West. Not quite the same record, but uh, strangely enough, they're both right there in fourth. Yeah, Philadelphia's won their last two in a row uh, after kind of a, a really weird start where people were very worried about the you know the quality of the team. Uh, they, uh, they've they got two wins and a draw, but two wins back-to-back uh, playing at home. And they've, uh, you know, they've... Uh, David Akam has, uh, you know, played well for them, and uh, we'll see what happens. Are you, anything in particular you're looking forward uh, to for uh, Saturday's game? Yeah, one thing I think you should look for is that I was surprised when I watched training this week when I watched one of the FC Dallas groups replicate uh, the opponent, as they do, as every team probably does, I would imagine. Um, they replicated a team that had two strikers, uh, not a striker and a wing, but like two legit strikers and a diamond midfield. Uh, which you don't really see very much anymore. So I went, when I got home, I went and looked up some of their games and their formations. And sure enough, they use two strikers. They use a number 10 sitting in behind and the other three guys you could, you know, maybe it's a diamond with kind of two guys pinching in a little bit, or maybe you could call it a four, three, one, two, if you want to make some sort of distinction. But 
uh, watching FC Dallas in training adapt to they're going to be to there being two strikers because that changes the way the runs happen. It changes the way you build out from the back, you know. So that was kind of interesting to see them work through that dynamic because I don't think that's a formation that you see very much anymore. So that'll be one of the keys for me in terms of like how does Dallas deal with that because that's that'll be new. Any uh, particular uh, thoughts as to how you think Lucci uh, will will he retain the same starting eleven? Do you think he'll start swapping people around? Any any movement there that you've uh, uh, you can foretell from be- attending practice? Well, I talked to him a little bit about squad rotation this week, and he um, indicated that uh, the rotations that you've seen in the front and in the midfield is actually something that they really like. That some of it was forced because of cops and that kind of thing, but some of it was by choice. Um, and then he wanted to keep the back four maybe more, less rotation. That's going to be pretty static. He wants more stability there. So uh, I don't think anyone have been, would have been shocked anyway. And on the basis of that statement, for sure, you can expect the same back four, Cannon, Ziegler, Hedges, and Hollingshead. I don't think there's any reason to change all that. The one thing I will throw in there, and I wrote about this in my practice thing, is I think John Nelson actually is challenging Pedroso to be the, the second left back. I think he's mm-hmm. right. And there now is the mix. He's not going to take Hollingshead jobs, but uh, you might see him come into a game if they need a left back for some reason over Pedroso. But well, he also uh, provides a bit of cover because he can play both sides of the field. He can. So you can, he can it's like yeah. bringing one guy and filling two backup roles. We've even we've even even seen him play center back uh, in a scrimmage in the spring. So I mean that there's that, and and people have talked about him playing holding mid too. I haven't seen that, but people say that about him. So uh, he is an incredibly versatile player. So there is that part too. Um, in midfield, I was left with an impression this week, uh, watching some of the rotations that, uh, you're really looking at five players for three spots any given week. Cirillo has cemented himself as a legit starter. Um, Grezzo, of course, Brian Acosta, your record signing, of course, Paxton's the one that probably is written in pen at this point. I'm sure he's a lock. And, um, Oh, Ja'Cory Hayes now is right in that mix, too. So I think of those five guys, I think those are your any, – any given game, you're going to get three starters from that five. And I actually have a feeling, based on some things I saw in training, that um, I think you might see a little bit of rotation this week. I think you might see somebody get a game off. Um, maybe Grezzo, maybe. Um, you know, with, with the cost of uh, – playing pretty well last week. Uh, Cirillo playing pretty well. Hayes playing pretty well. Maybe it's – and, and Grezzo played uh, both games for Ecuador. Uh, one as a sub, but one as a starter. So I'm just, you know, trying to spot some tea leave reading from training. I think there's a chance you're going to see a, somebody sit sort of in a rotational kind of way, I think. Uh, up front, I'm sure Ferreira keeps his spot. I mean, there's no reason to take him out. Barrios is on his streak of not – of starting and appearing anyway, they're not, they're not taking him out. The only question will be the left wing. Um, is Santiago Mascara back and healthy? Did a wrong. He's doing enough to keep that spot. Baji's not back yet. Maybe next week for him, but so perhaps there's a, a Santiago Mascara Arangi's question there, but I think that's the only one that's a question up front. Really. I think that midfield will be keep an eye on that midfield. I think there's a chance you might see, uh, you know, one of the either a Hayes or a Cirillo start uh, for Grezzo, possibly, sort of in a rotation kind of setup. I, I got a good laugh um, uh, while watching the uh, game in Salt Lake because uh, when you called in and did the radio show, uh, we were talking about, you know, who may play that left 
wing position with Mascara being injured or, or yeah. whatever it was we were worried about in that moment. And and uh, you had commented that maybe Pax could play that. And Andy just shook his head at like the idea. Andy, the, yeah. uh, Andy just hates the idea of Paxton playing a left winger position because he believes so much that he's just a great, you know, eight is his thing. But yeah. I giggled in the game because when they had to make the substitution and they put Ja'Cory Hayes in, where did Pax go? He went okay. out on the left wing. And what did he yeah. proceed to do? He proceeded to boss the game for about 15 minutes yeah. and score that goal by by the way, from the, yeah. from that position. So, well, he was spectacular in the CONCACAF U twenties at the left wing spot. I mean, just unbelievable. I, he almost was a best 11 caliber, you know, for the tournament, except for the, one of the other countries had a, I think Mexico's left wing was also spectacular. So, I mean, he, he was fantastic. And the funny thing about Paxton is an eight. I, I mean, I agree. The guy's a great eight, but he's also a great 10. He's also a great winger is that Oscar did not like him as an eight at all. Oscar thought he couldn't play eight. Hmm. So it's kind of funny that Lucci obviously loves him as an eight. You know, I've even seen Paxton play as a six, which is kind of funny, but I've seen him do it. Um, so the, the kid can, and that's, that's again, that's the complete thing with Warshaw, right? Complete game. The guy can literally play anywhere. He's a great left wing if that's where he's playing. Did Has Pax ever told you in your time talking to him uh, of what position he really likes? Yes. Yeah, he wants to be a 10. A yeah, 10. He likes, he likes being a playmaker. He likes... Uh, you know, I mean, he probably like when he plays eight and that and as other people have called it, that free eight role, you know, that's pretty close. But like if he could play like he did in the one game where they had the two holding guys behind him and they put a Rongis in that 10 spot, if Paxton could have that with like himself as the 10 and then two holders or two six eights, whatever behind him, that's what he would want to do the most is he loves being that uh, playmaker right there, smack dab in the middle of the action. Well, uh, I, I don't want to turn the podcast into the uh, PAX fan club, but uh, everybody's already uh, got dreams oh. and, and uh, you know, his future lined up for him. And I'm just sitting here hoping that he doesn't show up in the next two years with a sleeve of tattoos. He, I just want him to stay <laughs> pure and clean and just so innocent and just the way he is right now. Don't change, Paxton. Just yeah, just be well, you forever. <laughs> well, I said what I said a few weeks ago was that, you know, he's close to the point where this team is going to become his team. And so wherever he ends up in the future, I want to see him for two or three seasons basically run this team and run this club effectively. You know, that's what I would like for him to do in the near future. So beyond that, who knows, you know, careers can go anywhere. But that's going to be the exciting thing for me to watch is the homegrown kid become the focal point of the franchise. That's fun. And, you know, it's insane to say this, but that Saturday, last Saturday, probably uh, is, was the, uh, let me let me make sure I'm, I'm saying this the way I want to say it. Last Saturday, on top of the win, considering all of the homegrowns that were uh, a part of that victory on the road in Salt Lake, um, that was only a part of what has to go down as one of the greatest days in this club's history because it also was the debut of their USL team, North Texas Soccer Club, and holy guacamole, uh, that is a group of kids uh, that can play this game at a very, very high level. Uh, they dominated uh, a team made up largely of older players who were veterans of the higher division version of USL, and they kind of pushed him around and made it look way too easy, particularly 16-year-old Ricardo Pepe. 
Yeah, that the the on a bulk level, on the macro level, that team plays just like uh, Lucci's FC Dallas team does, and that's super exciting because that. That's the same way the academy plays too, and you love seeing the connection between all three. Those really good, and you love seeing uh, the the young kids, essentially guys that are right out of the academy, guys that maybe were out of academy for a year, guys that are homegrowns playing down. You love seeing those twenty year old kids, those sixteen year old kids, boss around guys in the middle of their career in that twenty five to twenty nine window, and just play them off the park. Now. You did see, of course, the young team let down at the end of the game and let them back in. And that's something that Quill talked about and Lucci talked about and everybody talked about, you know. But at the same time, uh, it was a super fun win. Uh, Lucci joked yesterday that he called Pepe after the game and said, hey, great job, three goals. You should have had five. And that was the kind of game Pepe had was he honestly could have had five goals in that game. It was uh, his performance was remarkable. I mean, what a what a pro debut. I mean, if if the guy's career never goes anywhere else, and that's not likely, but let's just say it does. Just like the moment of making your 16 years old pro debut hat trick, just living up to every hype that anyone had ever put on you to this point. I mean, what a moment that was! So much fun and joy, and uh, for people watching, for him. I mean, he was joyful too. His teammates were joyful. You know, people were chanting his name in the club. It was so much fun. Well, uh, he doesn't look or play like a 16-year-old. He's super no. impressive. Um, a couple of those goals, you know, a lot of the, a, 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 much of his goals were a byproduct of some uh, really poor uh, play on Chattanooga's part, but he did have to finish them, and a couple of them he did very well. The one player that really continuously stood out to me and I had not seen before was Kevin Bonilla. Um, man, yeah. he was all over the place, and he was doing an, uh, just a really nice job of, uh, of pressing out of the back as an attacking fullback. Yeah, he is a uh, under-19 player that is in his first year with the under-19s, and he came into that team already with a pro grade, which is where everyone in the organization projects that he's going to be a pro, whether it's now or two years from now or three years from now. Eventually, he's going to be an MLS grade outside back, at least if not better. He's a guy that uh, well before I saw him, people in the organization were talking about him. To me, as, when next time you watch the 19s, watch that kid because he is 100% legit. MLS level outside back. Yeah, uh, he stood out to me, uh, and I. By the time, by, by the way, I wanted to make a note. I, it, there were multiple times in the course of watching that game, I was having to uh, slap myself because I was having a hard time believing that I was watching a essentially a third division league game on ESPN plus I that's so great we're going to be able to watch all the games and it also yeah. is highly ironic that it's now actually easier to consume the reserve team than it is the first team yeah I, as of yesterday I still couldn't watch the RSL game on uh, replay oh, did, they finally, did they finally post it on ESPN plus it's on there it's just blacked out when you try and click on it oh well, real quickly before I forget, one thing I want to tell you about Benia is that he's actually not even a left back. He's a right back. So he was playing out of position. I mean, they use him over there all the time, but he's a right-sided player. <laughs> well, uh, that was great. You know, the, the comment that I did want to make is um, about – uh, the w watching the game on television was you tweeted out a photo, uh, kind of showing the sparse attendance, and I yes. and I the I, t I I texted back to you when you sent me the picture. I said, 
I said that that is almost has to be made up almost exclusively of friends and family, right? Because the the, the numbers were so small, it was in the hundreds. Uh, yeah. That when you realize you've got, you know, uh, when plus guys on the bench, 20 guys, they all are going to bring their friends and family. The the number, the ratio of friends and family to actual fans is really, really high or, or low. I don't remember the way you explained that, but you, you get my point. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and and it, it did make me wonder because for, I don't know, what, three, four years now, there's been this incessant chatter and noise and whining about how long it was taking Dallas to put this team together and put this on the field. And I just wondered what percentage of those people that have been pointing their finger and, and, and crying about this actually went out of their way and attended the game on Saturday night. I know it's probably like 0.1% of those people. Well, uh, the, the two caveats I will give to that discussion is there were a fair number of people in the box because the weather was terrible. They were in the club. So it may have been double what you saw in the picture. And uh, the reason I tweeted the picture was not to be critical of the attendance because it actually was exactly what I expected it to be. I was not expecting more than a couple hundred people. Uh, I wanted to take that picture to say – to underline the investment the Hunts are making because this team was never going to be about – the attendance. It always is only going to be about on the field, about developing players for the first team, trying to win games in the context of games, trying to win a title. Sure. But the whole purpose of it is to make players for your MLS side and to sell to make money. Yeah. So any that, of those that investment is huge. The, yeah. the, the entire club and all of their games are nothing but a huge money funnel for the hunts in this club. Right. There's, they're not going to make any money doing this. They're going to lose money hand over fist, uh, on a kind of a top level, uh, which it, you know, and, and then the other thing people should understand is the way FC Dallas is utilizing USL one is ostensibly the same way EPL teams use premier league two, which is their revert, uh, reserve league. And uh, we tweeted this out uh, on the same day. The average attendance of EPL2 games in England is literally like 400. Yeah. So, you know, if FC Dallas is able to get 400 people or 500 people, or hell, even if they're even close to their stated number of what was it, like 2,200 people, that's that's really, really good when you compare it to other global reserve leagues because that's exactly what this is for them. Yeah, this is exactly on par with the attendance you would get for a U23 team anywhere else. You know, it's just the the numbers that we're seeing are exactly what we all expected. Now, I would encourage people, if you're a fan of FC Dallas, I would encourage you to try and take in some of these games because these kids are phenomenally talented. They're guys that are going to be that are eventually they're going to be playing for the MLS side. And they already play a pretty good brand of soccer, and they're probably going to be better than almost anybody else they play in this league. And so if you care about soccer, like if you like good soccer or you say you do, this is good soccer in your backyard. It is just as good as anything else professionally in this country except for the top MLS teams. It's perfectly good soccer. It's very good soccer. It's enjoyable to watch. And if you actually like soccer, you would want to watch this. 
Well, I the only thing I at this point I wish uh, the club would do in terms of uh, uh, this type of thing is formalize uh, their relationship with a girls team at, at a top level and yes. get a team in there and support them the same way. I, I think that would be I would love to see a top flight women's team uh, under the umbrella of the club instead of whatever that uh, jicky thing they got going on now uh, that they kind of pretend is their female club team, but it's not yeah. really kind of deal, whatever, however it's set up they're, these days they're giving, it, they're giving them a tiny bit more support like i think they're actually giving them the real uniforms now and oh that's and nice some equipment so <laughs> but i'm but i'm with you it's like i and it's easier for me to, again it's easier for us to spend somebody else's money right but uh they should have i believe and i believe this of every mls team is that you should run a top flight as you can in this country women's program they have a full-blown women's academy they have tons of talent that comes out of that academy and into the national team, into like the big colleges. You have lots of girls coming through your system that would become great women's, whatever level you it is in this league, pro, semi-pro. It's not you know the biggest league in the world anymore, but uh, I 100% agree that FC Dallas should be running a legitimate women's side. All right, so FC Dallas is back at it. Again, the Huntsman up in Philadelphia against the Union. The game is on Saturday at 6.30, and it will be on uh, Texas 21. I'm assuming Steve and Mark will be back on the call. I'm assuming Mark's doing the call that day. I don't know. He may have a, a Dirk finale, <laughs> uh, a final, yeah. well, a, one of the last of Dirk's games to do. I don't know if they're both doing the call or not. So uh, that should be an interesting game because Philadelphia has been playing better, and, and Dallas has you know, road games in MLS are tough uh, historically and all of that. And, um, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit of a, a, a switch around and who's starting and who's not. Yeah, this, this is the time of year where players are starting to pick up little knocks. You know, like Lucci said this week, Cirillo had a little one. You know, Paxson had a little one. You know, it, it's not a big deal. It's just like you got a bunch of little bitty injuries starting to happen, a little bitty sore spots starting to happen. So you're starting to get into the time of the year where you might start to see guys take a game off. And, and I'm going to stick with my idea that I think perhaps Grezzo might get this one off. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Uh, if, you, if people haven't seen it yet, they should take a minute to go over to the uh, club website and watch the video uh, that they've been putting together uh, surrounding Lucci's first year as coach. Uh, they kind of done a wrap-up of the last, I don't know, the first five, four games, however many games they've played so far, and put it together. I know you're a big fan of it. I think this is something yeah. the club's been needing to do for some time, really kind of this peek behind the curtain thing. I just wish they'd stop doing all the field on-field yeah. stuff in slow-mo. It's a little heavy on the slow-mo, but uh, I mean, I, I know in terms of production, this is what I do. So I know why you're getting a lot of slow-mo, but um, we've why? actually... No, wait, wait, stop. Why, why do I have to watch Grezo spit in slow motion. Oh, well, that's an aesthetic. Grezo spit in slow motion is an aesthetic choice. That's the editor. I mean, that there's not a reason for that one. The reason you have a lot of slow-mo is because it can be hard to, uh, when you're shooting tight, as those things are, it's hard to keep up with full-speed live MLS, particularly if you're a new, younger shooter. So you end up with a lot of whips and a lot of like, oh, well, I only got like four seconds of that, or I got like two seconds of that. So if you super slow-mo it, you can use it. So that's why it's heavy slow-mo, but that doesn't mean that it's not super enjoyable piece. I mean, I've been saying for years, and I think you have too, that 
to let people behind the curtain, right? To show yeah. them the inside <laughs> of the operation, the day in the life, what it's like to be a pro, make people feel like they're part of the team or they're with the team and they're doing that and it's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's the most obvious thing uh, that should be done uh, and I don't mean to yeah. nitpick about slow-mo. It's just all the action is slow-mo. And by the way, it's not limited to this team. All the MLS teams seem to do yeah. that as well. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you're the professional video guy, so I'll I'll leave it to you. So if you tell well, me that's why. it's necessary, <laughs> that's, <the reason> why. <laughs> that's what it is. I just I just laughed out loud when I saw the there's the one shot of Grezo spitting, spitting yeah and it's like a wicked wicked slow mo it was pretty funny so well if you wanted to do a night an even nicer more uh, versatile version of that what you need to do is get the raw camera footage from the game coverage it's not and they have the rights to it it's obviously their production they could get it it's just a super complicated process to get it to the team in time in order to cut something together like that and use it but it's available you just it takes a lot more effort when they're using what they have and it's pretty good. Yep. Let's not complain too much because those things are fantastically better than whatever they've done before. No, I totally I'm admit. I, I, I Look, I admit I'm being a super nitpick. It's a minor issue. It's just something I've noticed. Uh, and it's not, again, it's not specific to Dallas. I, I watched probably six of these across the league, and they all yeah. do the exact same thing. It's like they're all instructed to do it that way. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Um, it's just it's a, a visual theme and aesthetic that's <laughs> – I've just grown a little tired yeah. of it. I just well, – Maybe vary it up a little bit. They're all copying each other because it's such a good hot idea right now. So everyone's going with it. Yeah. yeah. Everything looks beautiful in slow motion, doesn't it? it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like dogs yeah. drying, like shaking themselves dry kind of thing. Even even Grezzo spitting looks beautiful in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think we've covered anything I've forgotten, Buzzard. Anything you wanted to discuss? I was, I was, I thought we were going to say, oh, we're going to talk about the Dallas Cup. But I remember we're going to do that next week. So I was, oh, uh, the very, I jumped the gun. The very best time of year. It's like yeah. it's, it's oh, like gosh. spring Christmas. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, I, that, I clear my schedule for it. Yeah. Yes, my home stays are here in just a matter of like ten days. I'm so I'm giddy with excitement. I get to talk VAR and whip English yeah. referees to death with all of my questions. Well, you, you do referee hosting, right? So you should. Why don't you tell me about that a little bit? Just yeah. a teaser. We'll do. Uh, yeah. So the last. Um, I don't know. This will be the fourth pair. Uh, but uh, yeah, so every year for the last three or four years, my wife and I have uh, homestayed a pair of referees uh, at our house during Dallas Cup, and they are always uh, referees that are on the next kind of the highest level uh, within the English FA. So, uh, in fact, one of the two from the very first year a guy is a guy named Ian Hosen, who is now a full time EPL. Uh, assistant referee and he's also just recently got his FIFA certification so now he's doing like Champions League games and all of that so I see him on TV almost every weekend it's pretty cool well uh, Andy Swift told a funny story on the pod we did just a couple days ago he and I where uh, he said that they got Howard Webb to come in and they didn't tell anybody and so when they did, they they got they lined up to do the professional and they walked out. He said the teams that were all of a sudden they were like, oh, my gosh, it's Howard Webb. And they were double taken like, can you believe it? Look, 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 look who the ref is. You yeah, know? I don't know. if I don't know if Andy told you uh, the best story about that game is that in the in the course of the game, uh, Howard Webb gives a player a yellow card for a late tackle and that kit somebody captured that moment of Howard Webb pointing the card at the kid with the kid standing in front of him and the kid apparently now has that framed hanging on his wall. 
<laughs> Why wouldn't you, right? Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. terrific. No, uh, the Dallas Cup is great. And, you know, there are so many new people uh, to the sport in the city of Dallas that just don't really quite understand uh, the real jewel the Dallas Cup is and how important it is uh, uh, globally, not just for this community, but globally yeah. what a big deal it is. And I just can't encourage people enough uh, to go uh, spend a d- just one afternoon going to some of the games and checking it out. It's it's just effing magic. It's the best. Yeah, winning the Supergroup is a humongous badge of honor for anyone that has done it. And there's only two American teams that have done it. Dallas Texans Red in 2006 and FC Dallas in 2017. It's a phenomenal achievement. Yeah, I'm super jealous that Andy played in it as a kid. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure. that good. <laughs> all right, well, uh, we'll save up all of our best Dallas Cuff stuff for next week. We'll review uh, Dallas's trip to Philly and a whole bunch more. And don't forget, you can always uh, follow and communicate with us on Twitter uh, at the number three RD degree net at third degree net. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week on third degree, the podcast. Mm-hmm.